The opinions expressed in the following program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media. Family-owned Paranormal Pizza underwrites this episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast, located at 901 Gazan Parkway, Southwest Wyoming, and available at 616-531-8300. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because the goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, in one which we intend to win, John F. Kennedy, 1961 and 62. I miss the earth, I miss my life. It's lonely out in space on such a timeless flight. And the moon ain't the kind of place you want a place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell and dark as night. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time till touchdown brings me round again to find. Houston, we've had a problem. Jim Lovell, not Tom Hanks, reports trouble aboard Apollo 13 on April 13, 1970. I'm not the person they think I am at home. Oh no, I'm a rocket man burning out my fuse up here alone, and all this science I don't understand. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong's message from the moon, 1969. It's just my job till touchdown brings me round. I'm not the person they think I am. I'm a rocket man. Brought to you by WKTV, I'm Wayne Thomas. Welcome to another Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. Please keep an open mind about things that you might not easily believe as we explore the mysterious. We have our usual suspects with us tonight. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kim Colleen, regular co-host on a bi-weekly basis here with the Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. And I'm Laura Briggs. Thanks for having me back, you guys. Every once in a while, I get to come out and play and just hang out with these cool cats. I love oh. it. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> and William J. Konkoleski, head of MUFON, Michigan's MUFON. Yep. Yep author, and experiencer. True. Yep. We're going to define that. we have you define that for us before <laughs> okay. the night's over. But here's, here's your book, Experiencer, Raised in Two Worlds. I've read this book thoroughly. We talked about this because you were on the show once before. Yep. And then I did this cover-up because you have a new book coming out, Experiencer 2, Two Worlds Collide. Mm -hmm. And... Basically, this 
is a chronicle of you from two years old up until about age 19, I believe. Yep. yep. And why don't you explain what experience or how that is defined? Okay, so in terms of the UFO contact experience, um, when it really started to spill out into the public, many of the stories that uh, people were having with life from elsewhere, we're talking probably about the 1950s where the dam really burst and these stories started to come out. And at that time, a term that was used was contactee. And it's a good term, except the, the fact that the community started to get uh, a lot of individuals coming up with stories that really just couldn't be true, unfortunately. So you would have some great stories from people that had uh, contact experience mixed in with other more dubious stories, and the term contactee got tainted. And then that got replaced by the term abductee. But the thing about the term abductee is that it implies that every contact scenario means that there's going to be somebody taken against their will, and it's just a negative term, it's an ugly term, and it's not always an accurate term. A lot of the contact experiences are not negative, though some of them are, and a lot of the contact experiences don't include being taken anywhere, even though some of them do. So it's a partially true uh, term. And then rather um, revert back to a previous term, contactee, which again sounds like a pretty solid term, experiencer started to become in vogue, and experiencer in its most used term is somebody who's had a contact experience with life from elsewhere, um, and it may be an abduction, and it may not be an abduction, and oftentimes somebody who has this type of encounter with life from elsewhere has more than just one encounter or one experience. They experience things with some regularity, and um, whoever came up with the term experiencer, I don't know, but uh, now it, it's a that's a commonly used term for a person that has a contact. Fits in nice for you. You told me it's more of a broad term that even experiencer could be like a ghost experience. Sure, yeah, it's really tough to corral any phenomena, any sort of paranormal phenomena. And I know sometimes people in the UFO um, field say, oh, don't call UFO stuff paranormal. Or people in the Bigfoot field say, you know, I'm just trying to capture uh, an unknown creature. Don't tell me it's paranormal. But then you have these stories that are paranormal, often with Bigfoot. And these stories of people who have UFO experiences also having poltergeist activity or possibly seeing spirits or other things like that. It seems like it's just a sort of a broad range of things. And so, yeah, somebody could have you know, any one of these types of phenomena happen to them, and I think experiencer fits all of them. I know exactly what you're talking about because I've had the Bigfoot tell, people tell me, we're not paranormal. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had that too. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and I can say, have the spiritual community mm -hmm. say, oh, I don't do aliens. I don't know what that is. But yet, it's always a foreign thing that they're dealing with. So why, you know, mm -hmm. trying to define them? And who's the authority? It's just one of those types of fields or any of these types of field that you investigate where the more you know the more questions you have and so there it's really tough to pin down any type of phenomena and say this is the parameters you know 
Um, I remember once um, a previous uh, international director of MUFON um, indicated that we should not uh, look into Bigfoot um, if there's somebody, if somebody sees the UFO and they also see Bigfoot, which does happen. That we, I mean, I'm not saying it's common by any stretch, but there are people who report the two phenomena together. And he said, okay, you know, if somebody reports a UFO and a Bigfoot together, we're going to look at the UFO stuff, let somebody else look at Bigfoot. You know, that's not our thing. So I said, okay, so it's okay that a being comes out of a UFO, <laughs> but he better not have long hair. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we don't want feet. We don't want any. <laughs> <laughs> and he was quiet, and he, the subject moved on to something else. I think there is a connectedness between those, those different, <laughs> and you said on the show before, it's like once you experience one thing, it seems to open you up for other areas. Oh yeah, for certain. Yeah, yeah, and I often look at it as kind of a, uh, it's really kind of awkward to use this term now in this age of COVID, but it, it's kind of like a, catching a virus where you can catch it uh, genetically. If somebody in your family has these types of experiences, it's likely you will, like if one of your parents, for example, it's likely that you will catch the bug and have paranormal experiences. If you hang out with somebody long enough who regularly has paranormal experiences, it'll start to rub off on you. And one day you'll be somewhere where they are and something happens and now stuff starts happening to you. Or you could live in a place and catch it from there. If uh, there's strong energy in there from somebody who lived there before, who had these types of experiences happen, or I mean, just in a broad sense, experiences, then it's you know you might pick it up that way too, and then be able to mm. pass it along to someone else. Even yeah, I can see where it could be your environment, especially if it's like a haunted house or your property is haunted. But it seems like the stuff runs in the family when it, when you talk about ghosts. It's like oh, mm. and a lot of times it's the mother's side. Mm. So many people that come on this show, and another thing that people that come on this show have in common is they had a very young start mm -hmm. into these areas. Mm -hmm. I saw pictures of you when you first joined MUFON. <laughs> oh, you were no. just a kid. Yeah, diapers and... You were, you were a teenager, <laughs> right? You were a teenager when you... Pretty young, so I was in my early 20s, would have been 22. I oh, were you? Fun. Well, you looked, but, you, looked, you looked young in those oh, photos. Oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah. I, it was many times in my early 20s, I got mistaken for a teenager. Okay, oh, all right. Well, you're young, though. You looked young. You try to go in a certain place. What is he place. saying? That he looks old now? Well, he still yeah. looks young. He looks, everybody looks young to me. I'm just saying there are places that, I, that a 22-year-old should be able to get into and was given a hard time. Yeah, I could, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Now, you've been on a lot of different TV programs. We have a, lo a, a long, long list here of oh, different yeah. uh, TV programs. You've been, you want to read some of those? Sure. Uh, let's see here once. Sci-fi documentary, Abduction Diaries. Um, DVD documentary, Abducted by Aliens, UFO Encounters of the Fourth Kind. The ABC News special, UFO Seeing is Believing. National Geographic Channel, The Truth Behind, uh, Science Channel, Uncovering Aliens, Close Encounters, Consultant to History Channel, Hangar One, UFO Hunters. 
Yeah, some of I the, mean, that's just, I, the list probably goes on I think on. it probably does. Probably <laughs> not complete. The top probably three not. shows were shows where I appeared. The other shows were all consultant stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well. Just to be clear. Do you want to talk about maybe your, potentially your new one coming up here? Or is that a little bit too premature? Yeah, or should we just talk about the book? What the, it's premature. A lot premature. of times in the, in the television field, you get these, you know, the people approach you. And yeah. sometimes it pans out. Sometimes it doesn't. Gotcha. Um, your new book, can mm -hmm. you just tell us, what does it encompass? Does it leave off, does it start where you leave off on the old one in it, terms of like your age? Like, isn't the first book, it, it tells a lot about like your younger years up to your teens. Mm -hmm. And then does the new book kind of start in your 20s and then go from there? It starts exactly at the cutoff point of the last book. Okay, that's what I was wondering. There was material since, I mean, it starts that same very night. Because there was material that I wrote that extended beyond the first book that I said, no, I should cut it off here right. and put it in the second book. And really more interesting things happened the very next day after where I end the first book, and that's where I, I, I thought that is okay. the best place to kick off the second book. Now, last time we talked hmm. to you, you kind of felt like you didn't, you weren't ready to write that second book. Were mm -hmm. you in the midst of writing it then, or were you, did you write it after we had had our podcast? What was that, about a year ago or so? Yeah, a little over a year ago. Yeah. I was broadly done with the book in oh, 2014. You oh, you were done. Okay. And uh, that didn't mean that it was perfect or yeah. it was exactly the way I wanted to put things, but the material was all essentially written down at that okay. point. And it only took seven years to, to get out. Um, but <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's sensitive material in that it involves right. a lot of people I know well and still know well. Yeah. And there were some people that I had to show the book to. Right. And I say, you know, just so you know. You're in it. And, and this is how it appears. And some people came right. back and said, really, I remember it this way. Mm -hmm. um, can you, can you, you know, can you change it? And then I, I would say, yeah, that's fine. Okay. And, and I'm like, so it doesn't change the UFO stuff. It right. really changed our interpersonal um, so relationship. So it a little bit of time to kind of just pan all that out. Yeah. So um, are we going to learn about your experiences that you had in your 20s then? Yeah, yep. You're going to go in, is it in detail, what exactly happened to you? Mm -hmm. and, and it's a lot weirder stuff than the first book in well, some thank cases. Well, God. I mean, no, I'm not that the first one. one. How weird can it be? Yeah. I mean, we're all for weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not that the first one didn't weird me out. So, Bill, I want to ask you about your new book that's being released today, actually. Um, we know the first book had some weird experiences in it. Mm -hmm. And I heard that the new book is even weirder. And, you know, we like mm -hmm. weird. Oh, yeah. So without telling too much of your stories in there, can you give us the weirdest story that's in your new book <laughs> for people out there without totally giving it away right so here's the edited version thank you so me and a, a girl that i was dating back in 95 okay. um we were going on a just a hike uh, through some woods uh in holly michigan and uh, 
when we were there longer than we thought, we realized, oh, hey, we could watch the sun go down here. Mm -hmm. So we found a nice spot to do that. We put, set down a blanket and mm -hmm. watched the sun rise, and then it was dark. And then when we went up to get uh, to leave the place, um, and again, I'm only telling some of what happened. Yes. We were, as we went up to leave, we were frozen in place, and three grays came up to us and uh, started inspecting not really so much me but my date and they were all exchanging thoughts like no she's no good she's not the one she's not for him mm. and then they released us from the frozen state while well, they walked away released us from the frozen state and uh, yeah, we booked it back to the car and headed home and um, very shortly after that she broke up with me and um, while I didn't I wasn't quite to that point in the relationship where I sort of spilled the beans about the types of things that happens to me. Mm -hmm. um, although I didn't tell her it had anything to do with me, I'm pretty sure she knew it had everything to do with me. Sure. And in, uh, in the book, there's a lot other weird things that happen in that, in that particular circumstance. There actually, it, it was very hard to explain uh, what was going on at that time, but there was some weird play with uh, time um, mm. that, that's kind of hard to express that I hope I did a better job at in the book, okay. which really makes it one of the weirder things in the book. What was the word you said there was three what? Grays. What are grays? Okay, so little gray beings, um, okay. a few feet tall. Um, in this case, uh, I see, I've seen a couple different types of these things. Uh, there's the shorter gray ones and the taller gray ones. The, the shorter gray ones have a, a darker skin, the taller ones about five feet tall. There's like the three foot darker ones, the five foot paler ones. And they have these big wraparound black eyes. Okay. And uh, they move very puppet-like. Uh, they speak only telepathically. Okay. And um, yeah, they seem to be the army ants, if you will, the drones or whatever mm -hmm. of uh, uh, whatever intelligence is behind them. I don't get much of a sensation with the shorter ones hmm. that they are, um, that they were born, grew up to be like this and have some sort of life outside of what they do. I really think that what they are is consciousness plugged into a puppet, so to speak, hmm. a little drone and it's set off to do its work. So do you feel like it's, it's, it's a real thing, like made of flesh, bone, mm -hmm. like, okay, like you could touch it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one of the odd things about it, I mean, it's weird enough to say that you see something that is obviously from someplace else. Mm -hmm. But I've been having these experiences since I was age two, and you have enough of these, and you sort of catch the vibe of, of these things, that there's not really much soul to their, their physical form. Hmm. And, and this is me stepping out on, on a limb that I think that they are of such an advanced technology that they have figured out how to plug consciousness in and out of physical form. Mm -hmm. So um, these things that come, they seem mostly biological. They could be technological to some degree. I don't really know. But it really just seems like they pop some consciousness into it. It does its job. And then they, you know, they pop the consciousness back out, the, the, the thing that's operating it. Mm -hmm. And they'd probably just stick these things in a closet somewhere or, 
or what, hmm. what have you like that. Interesting. So I have a question for you, um, kind of in line with that. So you, a lot of these experiences and, and a lot of things that people say happen to them when they're very young. Mm -hmm. What would you say, or do you think it's even a possibility? Because there's several groups that, you know, we're trying to, to have make contact that never had anything. Mm -hmm. Do you, in your opinion, do you feel that people are selected? <clears throat> or do you think that there's a way for that, to bridge that gap for, you know, like the people that, that do the CE5 protocols oh, and, sure. and, and Dr. Greer's <laughs> things? And yeah. I'm just curious, how do you feel about you know, them selecting you and you having a choice, yes or no, about it, or B, is it possible for someone to go into that realm or try to contact them, any kind of dimensional terrestrial being? I, I do think so, though I don't know if, if uh, they've perfected the recipe yet uh, of contact. Okay. The one thing is that I always say, because I, I know uh, a fair number of remote viewers fairly well, and it seems like they all have superpowers. They all develop, they all develop these 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 abilities that are seemingly psychic based, um, with enough experience with with the art, and and some of the people that I know that really are deep into it have some phenomenal, very strange stories, and these are people that didn't have these type of experiences before, they started to dabble in remote viewing. It seems to uh, thin the veil, make sure. that plug-in. Um, you know, I, I gave that sort of a virus analogy, but I would say if you want to, to plug in, that seems to be the best route to do it. Yeah, I'd like to backtrack and then cover your first book a little bit so, they, so we can fig figure out where the second book starts up. At two years old, it was just a say hello. They met you and say hello. At four years old, it was a play date. At seven years old, it was a physical exam. At age nine, you saw the zigzagging uh, star and you started experiencing the OBE, out of body experiences. We wanna cover that. And then from 14 to 19, it was the unwanted out of body experiences. And then this came into play. Remember this, Kim? No, why can't yeah, I remember stick, that? Sticking the tongue out at you because we had dinner across the street and we learned that that's how Bill would ground himself, by sticking his tongue out. That worked better than anything else that you had tried. Yeah. So I'm surprised that you remember that, but absolutely. Yeah, I came back and I stuck my <laughs> I tongue out at Kim and she goes, what, I'm a party pooper. I didn't make it over to the restaurant. And I go, no, I ex explained how that worked. But one of the things that impressed me was the eyes changing colors. Oh, that I do that remember. Meant. When they changed from black to blue, and you said it was like a hypnotic trance that it would happen at mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really, that. and you also talked about some paralysis in this book um, back then. I don't know how that related. I think it sounded like it was quite a bit different than what you experienced, that, the story that you told. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there is a sequel to the eye change color in the, the, the second book too. Okay which is that in the first book, um, after a medical examination, they showed me that the being's eyes changed from a deep black to this bright cerulean blue, kind of like a police siren blue, mm -hmm. and just, uh, just completely tranquilized me and made me feel calm and at peace and then knocked me out. In the second book, there's an encounter of a being 
that instead of the eyes going from black to blue, the eyes go from black to white. Oh. And it was a completely different feeling. It was menacing. It was, it was, not, it was not a good feeling. Well, a lot of the language, the adjectives that you used in this first book, invasive, you know, you talked about suffering, how you thought they were judgmental, they were monitoring. It did not sound like a good thing at all. Yeah, when you're a teenager, the, the whole world is against you, right? Right. <laughs> and then it's enough that the whole world is against mm-hmm. you, let alone some other world getting in and on you, telling you what to do. It's like, you know, if, if my life as a teenager isn't bad enough, now I've got these things. You know, so, it, you know, certainly it was uh, a bad scene at that point in my life. I really felt disrespected. Um, I don't know that I ever really felt that true harm would come to me, mm-hmm. but terror is, is a real harm. Yeah. That, that sort of psychological unsettling effect is, is very harsh and it can really mess you up. And certainly that's what I, I went through at that point. Right at the, about the end of my first book, using that as the time periods, the beings sort of let up a little bit on me and said, okay, okay you know, you're entering into adulthood. We're going to give you a little test respect and see what you do with it and see if we can find some common ground. And I would say that that continues in the second book. Hmm. The second book isn't that same sort of repeated cycle of abduction and mystery, but more of a, you know, their world and ours collide and uh, what happens. I don't say it's a smooth uh, combination. I think collide is probably the best term for it (laughs) because, uh, you know, we don't understand them completely and I don't think they really understand us completely either but uh, the, yeah, my two my normal life and my experiences with them started to come together because they really started to take an active interest in my personal life the one story I told about the girl on the hill is mm-hmm. one case of it um, they wanted to make sure that I didn't end up with someone they didn't want me to oh, maybe they're <laughs> looking out for you like guardians yeah, and, and, and that's sort of a theme uh, of that period of my life. And, and that, since, since that theme, that's where I, I chose to cut off the first book and start the second one. Like this is where that phase of my life starts all the way up until it's, I would call it its conclusion. And it's not that I don't have unusual experiences still in my life, but at the end of the second book, it was when it really um, let up a great deal. That must have been some relief. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think people need to understand, you do have a normal life. <laughs> you're you're yep. a husband yep. and a father, yep. too. Yep. And, yeah, I held a steady job for 18 years and, um, yeah, do normal things. But, but uh, it can be surprising sometimes when somebody you know because this happens to me actually quite a bit someone i'll have known for years <laughs> mm-hmm. will come up to me and and this, i'll give one example of a true story this was two three weeks ago okay. a neighbor who i've lived uh, next door well two doors down from for five years 
he comes over and he says, my mom just read your book. And he and I have never discussed a UFO topic. I never said that I wrote a book. For all I know, he didn't know that I was remotely interested in UFOs. <laughs> and yet he comes over and tells me that his mother enjoyed my book. I'm like, huh. And I'm thinking, how long has he known about me and my experiences? <laughs> and he didn't treat me any different. Right. And, and it happens a lot at work, too. People will, say, will mention my book. Like, oh, yeah, I read your book. Like, oh, isn't it like in your book or something? Like, just randomly pull out from somewhere uh, in conversation. And, and I would say, oh, you read my book. And they're like, yeah, what, two, three years ago, I think it was? And I'm like, and you never mentioned it to me? We see each other almost on a daily basis. And you never mentioned that you read my book? Okay. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it was good. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You know, I think sometimes people just have a hard time accepting certain ideas. And mm -hmm. if it doesn't fit the idea of Bill the nice guy, the father, you know, mm -hmm. doing all this, right. then they tend to negate the part that doesn't fit that image that they want oh, to have you to be. And, you know, that's okay. It's just a human nature thing, but it is mm -hmm. always a surprise yeah. when someone Like a level that. of almost uncomfortableness. Yeah. Like, how do I talk to you about it? So I'm just going <laughs> to, like, just not talk about it. Like, pretend it's not there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what people, when you tell somebody something that doesn't fit into their worldview. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly yeah, what Laura said. Even yeah. if you just said, just even if you go up and say hey i saw this uh, flying saucer it was disc shaped had these brightly colored lights dig zig zig you'd explain it to them in a way where it was clearly a flying saucer mm -hmm. and not anything else <laughs> what then you're asking them is if they believe you and they had never really thought about ufos up until that point you're not just asking them to believe you, but you're asking them to believe that the phenomena is real, right. something that they never seriously questioned before. And so in their minds, they're like, okay, if I believe you, yeah. I have to change how I think about everything. About everything. 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 Not just that, but yeah. every facet of their life can be affected. And it's a very tough, yeah. tough yeah. door. Do, I want to ask you, do you feel like you were chosen? Well, in this case, I feel it was a genetic thing. It runs on my mom's side of the family. Okay. Because of experiences from your mother and her And that side and... of the family, yeah. And in my family, I have four older brothers. Mm -hmm. The two oldest brothers have, I mean, we could have a, a weird contest <laughs> with our <laughs> stories. Um, uh, they, they have every bit the number of unusual experiences that I've had. Hmm. And then the next two brothers, zero. Put them together, you still get zero. Wow. Yeah. And then That's me, something. you know, that spikes again. Yeah. I have no idea yeah. how that happens. Hmm. So my middle two brothers must be thinking like, oh, this, <laughs> you know, we're kind of surrounded <laughs> by, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I just was a curious, uh, you know, cause it's interesting and I, I have noticed friends or people that talk and they say, it's usually, well, my sister and I, or my brother and I saw this or my, you know, it, it's always a thing that seems to spark very young, mm -hmm. you know, when they're kids and they think, how, I, how could it have been anything else? Like, I didn't have any filters about what things were and what mm -hmm. they are and what they, you know. So I just was curious if you felt like that was a chosen deal for you. And have you had any medical evidence in your body? Have you ever had surgeries where they're like, we don't know what this is or we, it's strange, but this, 
is that yeah. cancer? <laughs> but we don't know what it is. Or have you had anybody tell you, it's really weird that you have this. Nobody has this. Only 2% of the population has this. I get you. And not so much in my case. In okay. fact, I'll, I'll even push back even harder on that than the, the question you're asking in that so many people come up to me and, and they ask me if I have a, um, an RH negative blood type. Because they say, yeah, all experiencers have, I'm like, no, they don't. I'm, I'm A positive. So I do not have that type of blood. And yet, you know, it, and, and people seem so disappointed. But I, <laughs> Well, they're try, I think I'm they're like, trying I, to never, qualify it. I think they're yeah. trying to understand it, it only is to this specific type of this or this specific type of that. And I think that's part of the, mm-hmm. the process of, of elimination of trying to figure out how this happens to you, but it doesn't happen to you. I, I have a cousin that claims he has a implant or something. From an alien? In his neck, right? Yeah. But you did tell a story about you have a scar on your yeah, arm. I have a scar oh, across right. my uh, arm, yeah, that I got when I was seven. Now, Laura, Laura has not heard that story. Maybe she. <laughs> and it, it ties in with the, the blue eyes. I was on board, um, and it, it, it's a rare circumstance that I find myself on board. A lot of t- my experiences are not necessarily on the craft, but this particular time was. They had me sit in what was much like a dentist chair, and I was magnetically locked in. I couldn't see any straps or anything, and yet I couldn't move out of this chair. And the being came up to me and said, be really good, and you get to see the color blue. And I was like, you know, you're a kid. You want a sticker or, you know, a yeah, soccer? You know. That's what it sounds like, yeah. And, and so um, at that point, I felt this sharp pain across my arm, like somebody cut it mm-hmm. with like an X-Acto knife or a sharp blade. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I guess same thing. And when I looked down, I saw it healing in front of my eyes. I saw a scar forming over it with no source of what would create the scar. And then when I looked back up at the thing, like, what the heck is going on? That's when it turned on its blue eyes and and put me at peace. And Mm. of sequel to that, the very next day, I'm in the backyard playing. I was seven again at the time. Um, I had a friend across the street over. He's six. We're climbing trees in the backyard when this mist rolls into the backyard. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like a, like white, like, like fog. It's not uh, like, like at a show, like a- Dry ice? Yeah, that, that sort of a very light sure. mist came rolling into the backyard. And in the middle of it was a little gray being came up to me and asked me if I was all right. I said I was, and it seemed satisfied and it kept going. And this mist was just surrounding it so that nobody else could see it. And then the mist went through the backyard of the next door neighbor and it kept hmm. going. And my, the neighbor boy um, who I've kept in touch with mm-hmm. remembers the mist, but he never mm-hmm. saw the creature. Hmm. And then, yeah. I, that was, that's another question or something I've always wondered too, because I'm curious if it's some people just have the ability to see those things where other people don't do you, you know do they only appear maybe to certain people or are pe- certain people only able to to see that I had a similar experience with a girlfriend of mine and she was saying don't you see that ship and I'm like what are you talking about you know she's like it's right there and it was it was over some water which you know and I said okay you know but it I, it got me thinking because she had another experience with someone else and I said maybe you're just able to see that when other people aren't does that mean it exists or not you know yeah 
Obviously, it does to her because she can see it, but just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That's x-ray, <laughs> you mm. know? We don't see radiation, but we know it's there. It, it works. Mm. It's there. So I just was curious if, if that's a possibility, too, that maybe there's something that is within your makeup that you're just able to see them where other people aren't or other things aren't, you know? Yeah, I don't know a, a personal case where I had that happen, but I have had friends tell me that they've pointed to UFOs that were just clear as all heck just floating overhead and the people around them weren't able to see it. Yeah. And um, and it's just strange. And then, and then invariably the old story comes up about when ships came over from Europe that uh, the Native Americans um, couldn't see them because they, they it wasn't in their universe or paradigm. Oh, wow. Yes. So, so the yeah. ships just sailed right, I think it was in South America, this, these ships just came right up ashore and they didn't see them. Hmm. No. Yeah. That, I, that's interesting that it would apply to UFOs and that because with ghosts, I, I could see that it seems like some people's senses, you know, they're, they're more sensitive to that. Right. They're more advanced and they're able to see through that veil. I think there's so many experiencers out there, whether it, in different fields, UFO, Bigfoot and ghosts, but they don't report it. They don't want to be ridiculed mm -hmm. and they don't want that. We talked about that before, how they just so much of it goes unreported, but you were brave enough to come forward, not, not just talk about it, but write a couple books about it. So mm -hmm. I like that. I think it took a, a brave person to do that. Yeah. The, the way I think it was teased out of me is again, my two oldest brothers have a, a high number of experiences, but when I was little, there was a rule in the house. Don't tell me the stories since I was little. I was, you know, I mean, I, at four years old, I'm, you know, telling this story about the, the three little gray guys that came around. And my parents are like, oh, okay. Hmm, all right. And I'm like, they're, they're very accepting of it. Yeah. They thought you were making it up? No. Oh, they, no. they probably just said, yep. They knew because <laughs> of my older brothers had already worn them down with their stories. But they didn't want to scare me or okay. uh, put ideas in my head. So they kept the stories of the older brothers from me, but they would listen. They're like, okay, all right. You know, and, and then when I got older and I, you know, one day I told the story and they're like, oh yeah, the same thing happened to your brother. And I'm like, what? And then, and also, you know, here's all the stories <laughs> when I so was old enough. It was your mom <laughs> who had the experiences? That's your genetic connection? Or did you yeah. say grandma or mom? My, my mom, she had, I, I, some people I don't like to talk about so much, but oh, yeah, she'd, okay. had, she'd had something happen. Okay. But Bill grew up in a spooky house where they, he yeah. had other things happening too. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, not just UFOs in the backyard. So you, you grew up in a haunted house too. Yeah, yeah. My uh, brother saw this uh, uh, Native American, uh, uh, he said spirit come through his room very clearly and uh, weird things would happen he he wore thick glasses still does and uh, when he would take off his glasses in one particular room of the house when he looked at the full moon it would appear as a perfect triangle put his glasses back on it would be round again wow that's cool <laughs> okay he made that and, cool. and un that's unusual cool. <laughs> and unusual things like that yeah so yeah Very a lot cool. of poltergeist activity in the house and okay so poltergeist meaning uh, that the spirit can actually move things, mm -hmm. touch things, yep. you know, move something from here to there. 
slam open doors and stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. more Voices. or less the, pol the, the poltergeist, you know. We had this plant that would blow like in the breeze where there a was plant? no breeze. Uh, it was plastic actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, oh it would gosh. start whipping around and there would be nothing there to, to move it. Okay, that it happened would freak a couple me times. out. Yeah. <laughs> in your first book, you talked about Moldavite, mm -hmm. which I wear around my neck, uh -oh. which um, we have a friend from Australia who first introduced this to me, and then I read about it in your book. Do you cover Moldavite again in your second book? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. There's a little bit more to tell. But uh, a lot of what's in the second book is sort of a recap of the first, and then uh, mostly what I include in the second book is when I went around to other people and heard about their similar experiences. Good. One of the things, um, in, including the, the gentleman, uh, Mike Cleland, who wrote the foreword to my book, he had a, a similar s circumstance too. Uh, Moldavite has this way of disappearing mysteriously yes. and coming yes, back does. mysteriously. <laughs> I like I'm on my third piece now. <laughs> it's the strangest thing, like where does it go? And I never lose any of my little crystal babies. I know where they all are. Steve Wilson in Australia had the same story. Yeah. It, it, he lost it, and then it showed up again. Mm -hmm. I had one piece. Okay, so just if, if, I, if, if I can or should tell this story. Um, so I used to listen to a show called Psychically Speaking. It was on Sunday nights. Marcello was host. I don't know if everybody listened to this show, but as a kid, <laughs> I did. So anyway, he had a, a guest on the show that was talking about Moldavite being like the, you know, the new big thing in crystals. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a local store, Crystal Corners, that was there at the time, and I got a piece and I, I held it in my hand and I could definitely feel warmth and vibration. So I took it home and I put it up on this book, bookshelf I had. The bookshelf is actually physically built into the wall. And I had it up on the top shelf and I would take it down. I was in high school, so I was unsophisticated with my meditation technique, but I, sort of, you know, I, I felt I was doing a, a respectable enough attempt at it. And so I would meditate with it. And one morning I woke up and I had this weird feeling like this shadowy figure like came into my room the night before and took it. And I looked up and it was not there on the bookshelf anymore. Mm. And so I'm like, well, that's weird. So <laughs> I went and um, I got another piece. I'm like, yeah. well, I'm just going to get another one. So I got this other piece and I put it in, uh, in my pillowcase every night. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to lose it the same way I lost the other one until the night it disappeared. Out and of your pillowcase. Yeah. yeah. And then the third one, and I'm like, I am not going to be I mean, deterred. How big of a piece are we talking here? Hmm, pretty small, about like the size of a dime. Yeah, maybe. they're pretty small. It's an expensive piece. Okay. You know, it's so the only gem from outer space. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Land. I'm just wondering if I, I'm, I'm thinking of scenarios through my head, what could have happened? It crashed from space into the Moldau Valley in uh, Czech, currently the Czech Republic. So it's, yeah, it's literally from space. So the third one, I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be deterred. I'm going to get a third piece. Mm -hmm. So I drive to Crystal Corners, get a third piece. I drive home. It's the middle of the afternoon. I'm the only one at home. Um, I open the door. I set it on the bookshelf right inside uh, the door, like just right inside. Mm -hmm. I go to the bathroom, come out, and it's Don't gone. Don't tell me. <laughs> it took like one, two minutes tops, less than two minutes to disappear. Really? I brought it right into the house, and it disappeared. And there's more. 
Were so, you like pulling that bookshelf apart, like looking behind? Well, it, it was. I would say it's a. It was a bookshelf on the other side. It was essentially just saying it was a clear ledge. But yeah, I looked all over the place. There couldn't was find it. there was no place it could have gone, and I couldn't find it until six years later, moving out of the house, and my my bedroom was just about entirely empty of anything. I go to the bathroom, come back. It's sitting in the middle of my dresser, on top of my dresser. Still in its little plastic baggie. <laughs> and here's the thing I remembered clearly about the crystal was I didn't, this one had like a little brown spot inside of it. And I wanted one that was just kind of completely clear or translucent. It's mm -hmm. a dark green, you know, glass looking stone. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I'll settle on the one with the little brown speck in it. So I recognized it. It was the same exact crystal that disappeared six years before. And again, go to the bathroom, comes back. After you, six yeah. years. It's, it's said that when, the, when it's done with you, it moves on to somebody that it needs to be with. It's a transforming stone. It, it helps you so transform and, and, and change things that you need to change that you're unable to do yourself. Mm -hmm. so Enhances when, psychic ability. Yeah, it does. It does. It's a very high vibrational stone, but... It's just odd that it just, they do, they just, dis I don't know what to say, they disappear. Yeah, it, it seems like Moldavite is something that disappears. I mean, you've had stories of your friends having it disappeared, disappeared on you. Our friend, it disappeared on yep. him from yep. Australia, Steve Wilson. Laura's had hers disappear. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a mysterious gem. It's a very, very gem. thing. So do you take your necklace off ever? Oh yeah, I take for, mine off. For fear that you're going to, it's going to disappear. I wear it on this show because it's supposed to enhance psychic ability okay. and for the throat chakra. Yes. I, I wear it for that reason. But I was introduced with Steve and then again in Bill's book when I ran across it and I thought, well, oh, that's two now. Yeah. And, but the stories yeah. of it disappearing seem to be common. That's interesting. You talked about some other things on the first book. You talked about how fast the UFOs go, 3,000 miles an hour. They were been recorded at 3,000. And we don't have anything here that we make that goes 3,000 miles an hour, even close. That's publicly admitted anyway, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I asked you about crop circles. You thought maybe they, you know, there are some hoaxes out there, but some of them are definitely real, real deal. Yeah, and a lot of people ask uh, what the connection is between UFOs and crop circles. And up until a couple years ago, I would always say that there hasn't really been any firm connection oh, okay. between the two phenomena mm -hmm. until uh, MUFON of New York got a case a couple of years ago where a UFO, the witness saw a UFO come down and make crop formations. Oh. And um, they tested the soil and it had radiation in it the next day and it seemed to be a true account of that witness saw. Okay. And so now I'm like, well, at least there's that case. So there is that connection. All you need is one. We yeah. had Marie Cisneros on the show yeah. who was long to MUFON for years, I guess. I don't know, she, she may be getting out of it now. You might have to talk to her, Bill. She's, <laughs> she's retired from MUFON. Yeah. She's wonderful. But yeah. I asked her, cause you do lectures in the libraries. I got a hold of the libraries. I said, get Bill. <laughs> book bill and then we hit COVID hit so nobody yeah. was doing you didn't weren't doing any uh, presentations I did several actually over the oh, summer did you? Um, on zoom uh, oh, right. online yeah. right. I saw some of your zoom I, stuff I, in fact I had six or seven in October zoom 
you did UFOs over Michigan. I saw that presentation. Mm -hmm. Our our friend Brandon Jose and I we went to that and my wife. I love that. But you also do uh, new new UFO sightings is another mm -hmm. presentation. Yeah. I asked Marie. I, I says, what do you think is the most compelling evidence that's out there in the world? I mean, it, where is it happening? Is it happening here in the United States or? Is there stuff that's happening in other parts of the world that's the most compelling UFO evidence? So I, she didn't know. She couldn't answer that question. I said, well, I'm going to see Bill in a couple weeks, <laughs> so I'm going to ask him. <laughs> now, being a state director of a MUFON chapter, you have to understand that we get several hundred sighting reports in just to Michigan every year. We've cleared 200 already for 2020. And I don't need to look outside of what's landing in my plate to, um, to, to review some of those, those cases out there. It's just so much what we have coming in regularly. And I would say that, you know, Michigan has certainly had its share of great sightings and people see stuff all over the place all the time. The only time we get even like a minor increase in sightings is around the 4th of July. You know, people misidentifying fireworks and um, Chinese lanterns and right. drones and whatever that that, that really uh, up their game around that time. But otherwise, yeah, people see sightings, I mean, report sightings consistently one to two a week, all year. Um, they see them everywhere. Uh, you take the last hundred sightings and you drop them on a map, you always get a population map. Um, so there isn't really a hot spot that I think, you okay. know, it, or a specific time. There have been, you know, times like 1966 in the southeast part of the state, 94 on the west side of the state that had a sudden massive wave of sightings. But apart from those that don't happen very often, they're just all over the place. You okay. talked about the 1994 and then Marie referred to it as flaps. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard that term because oh, I'm not really a UFO guy, <laughs> but it refers to clusters of UFOs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened in 94. Mm -hmm. You also told a story about a guy who watched a, a UFO in his yard for about an hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just found out about two weeks ago that he passed, I guess, oh. in 2006. Huh. The year after I, I went of cancer, the the year after I went and interviewed him, because I, I was wondering about him, and he was really badly shaken up at that point. Mm -hmm. He really didn't want anything more to do with it, but I was just, I was just curious, and so I, I just typed his name into to Google, not like I stalk people, and 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 it just, and I saw his obituary, and I knew very, oh. I knew it was obviously him. But he was one of those that he didn't report it for. He didn't report it then when it was in his backyard. I think it was no. like a year later or something, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was six months after he'd seen it. He saw it in September 2004. He reported it. He worked up the courage to report it in March 2005. And what I was doing recently, because I was telling this, his story so much, um, I actually told the story in Highland, Michigan, at where he's from and where the sighting occurred. So I wondered if he had actually come out to other sources about his oh, sighting yeah. and um, so yeah, I typed his name in and UFO and Google crossed out the UFO and then gave his name in his obituary. So, but yeah, he was really, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a witness more upset than him 
he was really, really shaken up by what happened. You also did a mathematical equation when I saw your presentation. You came up with a number, 100 mm -hmm. sextillion possible areas out there in space that yeah. could have intelligent life. Is it sextillion, one to the 25th power? Could be. Sextillion. Yeah. I sent you a thing on mm -hmm. another uh, math, talking about math, about a couple mm -hmm. of professors that have worked out another equation to figure out the uh, CETI, and that's the Communicating Extraterrestrial Intelligence Civilizations in the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And they say there's at least 36 in the Milky Way. Yeah, and I, I see that number feels right. It feels like it should be the case. Okay. And um, the, I remember, of course, the equation I was talking about is that some estimate of the number of stars in the Milky Way has it at about 300 billion. And um, Hubble, with the number of planets and moons that it was identifying that could possibly sustain life, it, they came up with a figure that about one in six um, planets, uh, stars has a planet or moon around it that might sustain life. And so in the Milky Way, that would be 50 billion out of 300, million, 300 billion stars, pardon me. And then if you think, well, if the Milky Way is um, average in the number of planets it has that could sustain life, we can, well, I'll just jump to the punchline, um, that they figure there's about two trillion galaxies out there. So if our galaxy is average, then that's, yeah, 106 trillion. They're talking about, small. <laughs> they're talking about exoplanets too, planets that are actually outside of the, their solar systems. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the equation, it's pretty much statistically inevitable that there is life out there and it's imminent. And then there's that Venus story um, from a month or two back oh. where they found this, uh, these particles and de detected these particles in Venus's atmosphere that the only way that these can be produced on Earth is uh, as like waste, a waste project, product of, a, of bacteria or something okay. like that. Oh, and then I think they just discovered some water on Mars. Just, just I mean, in the last couple of weeks, it mm -hmm. seems like I just heard something. Yeah. Laura Briggs is yeah. a psychic astrologist. I don't know. I do astrology. I'm an energy worker. I, you know, I've always been intuitive. I've always had that stuff. And, and absolutely, I, I think that that's a possibility. You think it's imminent, though? Absolutely, I do. Are, how short-sighted are we as a, is humanity to think that there's not something other than ourselves in the world, mm -hmm. in, the, in the galaxies and beyond and beyond? And science is always going to support those new discoveries. It's always going to bring that. In fact, I think this next two and a half years, you're going to see a lot of activity, you know? To know the stars is, is to know the astrology, and part of this is our shifting to a, a time when technology and medicine advancements are huge, and also going into the alien aspect. What's, what's beyond? What's, above, what's showing up for us? And I was going to ask you the question that you've probably been asked a hundred times. Do you think they walk among us? Have they been here enough that that maybe some see, some don't, but do you think the aliens have already are here? For you, obviously they are, but do they move among us as a, as a race, as humanity? Now, uh, there's a couple sources that I point to for that. It's never, I've never encountered anybody that I felt was a hybrid walking okay. among us, 
But uh, the work of David Jacobs, and, and I think his last book is, is called something like Walking Among Us, something like that. And it's exclusively about people encountering hybrids um, in, the, in trying to blend in as people. So if, if that's a topic that interests you, that's, that's definitely, I would say, the go-to book. But even going back several decades to Ingo Swann's uh, classic book, Penetration, Oh, I got chills when I read that book. <laughs> it, is, it is something else. Um, and uh, in it, he claims that he would be, his psychic powers that he developed through remote viewing, he could read things about people. And every once in a while, he would come across somebody who's like, that's not completely <laughs> human, is it? <laughs> it's a different energy, <laughs> yeah. And, and so he felt that uh, he had encountered some of those uh, walking mm. among us. Okay, and yeah, yeah, the, yeah and I'll, j I'll just say yeah, that he, you know, was really considered one of the, you know, well, certainly a pioneer, but mm -hmm. somebody that had tremendous psychic ability. And some of the things that he encountered uh, extraterrestrial related were, were really, really great stories that he would have. We need to move into our final thought. Cause I'm not exactly sure how much time we have, <laughs> but... Um, my final thought is E.T., friend or foe. Are we, <laughs> headed, for, are we headed for world war with uh, aliens? Um, yeah, war of the worlds. Um, let's start with, we'll go right around and talk about this. Okay. E.T., friend or foe. Go ahead, Laura. Friend or foe. I think it is a human thing to fear that you don't know, the things you don't know. Um, I, I hope to believe that if there is something more advanced that it has gone through some of our lower level emotional things <laughs> so that we don't have to fear this new thing coming, I think we should view it like children opening your eyes and seeing this new, new great world and this new possibility. You know, your mind is a, a limitless place and every one of us has the ability to do remote viewing and to do these things. We just have to understand we're, you know, we can do that with our head. So friend or foe, no, I, I believe that it's, that it's friend. What our biggest foe is, is our own belief systems, which we really need to start questioning. That's what limits us. I, I think, yeah, I agree with that. It's our own human nature that where the fear lies. It's a human thing and it's been conditioned and we've been taught that through multiple systems for, you know, certain reasons, but uh, we can move past that. <laughs> Kim, how about you? You ready uh, to go for a ride? No. Uh, you say, <laughs> you, you say friend, fair. I say foe. Oh, really? That's fair. That's totally you know, fair. I meet people like Bill, and I hear his stories, and I don't really think that's friend. Yes. Um, if they approach us in a negative aspect, if they want to harm us, if they want to hurt our bodies and our minds, that's not friend. If they come in peace, extend an olive branch and say, we want to join you as a race and live as one, friend. But the minute you touch me with a knife, you're foe. Yeah. <laughs> and Bill, so, I don't know. All right, Bill, you're the expert here. <laughs> <laughs> Friend or foe, E.T. Oh There's a few different directions to go with this, but I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off what she said. In that, 
Um, going back to what I said earlier, where I think their primary form is consciousness, they just plug in the physical form. I don't think they respect their own physical forms. And so I don't think they see us as physical forms. I think they see us as consciousness that is locked in physical form rather than having an ability to plug in and out of it. So I think these things that they do to us that make us upset are all very ego-based. They're all very physical-related issues. But my experiences with them outside of body have been pleasant. And, okay. and, and so I just don't think they, they view physical form with the same value that we do. Because in many cases, people don't think of spirit, of soul, of anything like that. They 100% identify with their physical form. And I just think these beings don't, and it's a real apples to oranges type of relationship. Well, I think, I think we're all from the same building blocks myself. I think we're going to find out we share some of the same DNA and that we're actually related to them. And it's getting past our own fears, I think, is the biggest thing. I mean, Bigfoot, I'm going to run. <laughs> I'm not going to try to make friends with Bigfoot. But Alien, I may, I may try to make friends with it. But, okay, I got to inspirational thought and then the show's going to be over but Mark Twain and Mother Teresa both said this uh, quote and I think Mark Twain was older so he probably must have said it first but I alone cannot change the world but I can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples I believe Bill Konkoleski has been making ripples and making waves actually and he was brave enough to do it Laura Laura yeah, I totally agree. I think oh, you're, you're brave enough that, that you've, you've made some <laughs> ripples you. in your life. You know, my purpose is really to help people also understand themselves and to change and to understand their own dynamics and their own possibilities. And they change. They get to be the one to change that. You know, I'm happy to be the, con the conduit and the connector mm -hmm. to that. But I appreciate that. I appreciate Bill being so honest and open about that and yes. talking about those Scary questions, because they're scary. <laughs> Kim Colleen, always nice to see you. Thank you. So if your kids are out there, they're experiencing stuff, whether they're Bigfoot, ghosts, aliens, pay attention to them. And be brave enough to make ripples, to make waves. That's it, that's the show. Peace Thanks. out. Family-owned Palermo Pizza underwrites this episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. Located at 901 Gazan Parkway, Southwest Wyoming, and available at 616-531-8300. The opinions expressed in the preceding program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media.